Thanks for joining the West Valley Christian Church Podcast, where we believe God's greatest commandment is to love God and love people. We hope you enjoy. It is great to be here in the house. Lord, if you're online, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so I'm just honestly listening to the worship music here. I think I should just pray and send you guys home because I'm already filled at this point in time. What a great way to finish the year out is to be in the house of God and worshiping God. And I just absolutely love that. Um, I'm, I'm actually honored to be here and speaking on the, the last day of the year because up to this point we've gone through 51 weeks of powerful messages, powerful sermons, and we've gone through so much talking about just, just things that, that are real, incredible topics like love, grace, and faith. And then I get to finish that out and try and figure out a way to put this together. And Rob, when he asked me to preach this week, he said, give me some, some topics and some things that I was thinking about. And I thought about all this stuff, and I looked, and I went, you know what? The thing that stuck out to me was Christmas. The, the, the messages we had for Christmas that were about joy and hope and peace. And the, the thing that stuck out to me was that, that we're supposed to have these things, and in the church we have them, and I look out in the world, and the last thing they have is joy and hope and peace. I mean, when you look at the news today, you see reports of wars, political upheavals, social injustice, crime, poverty... It's all around us. Anxiety is a new norm for people. The, 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 the things that the world are dealing with are just obnoxious and contrary to what God wanted. And there's even groups that call themselves Christians that, that try and get involved with it and, and, and try and right the ship in the world by, by calling themselves progressive and taking God out of the gospel. And that's not an answer. That's, that's wrong. They'll even use verses like uh, Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And when they use that, all they do is focus on the last part and say, God's going to heal us. And they don't focus on all the parts where God is saying, if you come back to me. I see a lot of Christians trying to communicate to the world too. And, and sometimes we do it in, in powerful ways and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're, we're off. We, we, we make a misstep. Um, years ago, um, I was in uh, Urbana, Illinois for a missions conference. And it was at the University of Illinois. And it was during Christmas and New Year's, so there was no students on campus. Uh, but there was about 1,500 Christians that were on campus that were deciding whether or not to go into full-time ministry as missionaries all over the world. And there was a ton of different mission organizations. And during the day, we'd go and sit with the missions organizations, and we'd, we'd, we'd listen to what they do and things like that. And at night, we'd get together in a place called Follinger Hall or Follinger Auditorium, and we would worship. 1,500 people worshiping God. It shook the building. It was amazing to see. We did that all every night. It was something that was awesome. And one of the nights I remember walking into this, I saw a guy standing right outside the door, and he had a sign in his hand. And the sign said, turn to Jesus or you'll spend eternity in hell. And I just went, wow. I mean, first of all, um, that message is harsh. But second, product placement, people. I mean, seriously, this is a group of 1,500 Christians. Why are you aiming here? You know, so I walked up to him. And I said, uh, excuse me, brother, I'm, I don't understand. I mean, there's, there's 1,500 Christians inside this building. This really isn't the place for this. And he looked up at me, and I won't ever forget. He said, well, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is going to go to heaven. Because for him, 
the people in that building weren't following what he thought was necessary in the Bible. And we mix that message up sometimes because we end up fighting with each other rather than looking at what God wants us to do. And even the best of intentions, sometimes we don't make it correct. So what I want to talk about today is how do we respond in the right way? How do we deal with the world? How do we connect with them in a way that gives them what God wants? We have all the information. It's the method sometimes we use doesn't connect. The world is asking questions. They're just asking questions about different things. They want to know about inclusivity, racism, gender fluidity, Christian nationalism, sexism. And there's a new one that's getting more press today. That's religious trauma and spiritual abuse. These are all things the world is asking us. And yet, for a long period of time, the church has come back and just spouted out about what's wrong in the world. The world's moving at a speed that's different than what God wants them to. And sometimes it feels like we're just catching up. We're trying to get hold of it. There's an author named Ken Schmidt who talks about how he has seen the church act like a fireman who is just hurriedly stamping out the last embers of a fire while two miles down the road there's a raging fire going on that he's missed. Now, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I think that's the right way of describing the church, but I do know I never want to be like that. And when I was thinking about this, I just, I just kept thinking, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he dealt with this very same thing. In the world that he was in, the things that he dealt with were very similar to stuff that we deal with. The city of Rome is very much like a modern world. The circumstances are different. I mean, the times are different, but the concepts are the same. So Rome was a bustling city. This was a, a city that was alive. It had a total huge number of people in it that were just regularly working together in a way that they felt was right. They were a social group. They had a strong social culture. They had a strong agricultural culture. They had a strong religious culture. And they put those together to see how the, the city should run, how their world was. So what you did was you went and you prayed to the gods that you would have a good harvest. You prayed to the gods that their fertility would go through the land and would give the farmers what they needed to come in and sell to the people in the land. And because they prayed to that, the farmers got what they needed. So the farmers were happy to pray to the gods. They got what they needed. They came in. They sold to the, shop, to the shopsmen in the, in, in the town. They took it, sold it to other people, and they made money off it as well. So everyone had their, their part in it. As long as you went and prayed to those gods, you got what you wanted. Well, they didn't care if you worshipped other gods too. They just wanted you to accept them and worship them. So they got what they wanted out of it. And I kept thinking, that's exactly like what the world does today. The world doesn't care what we worship. They don't care what we believe. They just want us to believe and accept what they believe. And that, I think, is where the huge problem starts. Paul had a passion for this church in Rome. The Bible doesn't explain why. It doesn't look like Paul was ever actually in the city of Rome before that. He didn't know anybody in the city of Rome. But he heard about them. He heard about this church. He heard about the things that they were doing and trying to be a church completely away from where the church started and where everything was, was moving. He wrote him a letter. It's the book of Romans. 
And in this letter, he tries to, to, to connect with them and give them something that gives them the ability to understand. He tries to start a conversation. And the conversation he starts is something he wants to show them, I'm someone that's going to come and visit you, and you can count that I'm going to know what I'm talking about, and you can listen to what I have to say. So he's passionately trying to get them to be involved. And what they were doing is doing the best they could do. They were just trying to gleam off of everything they could hear. Someone comes in and tells them about Jesus, they go, that's great. They saw Jews that were observing the Sabbath in Rome. They said, okay, we got to do that too. They, they had their own religious practices from other gods that they had worshipped in the past, and they said, oh, yeah, we're going to move that into it as well. So they were out of their own depths trying to do something they didn't know anything about. So Paul starts Romans by giving them 11 chapters of the gospel. He just throws it out from the beginning to the end of the 11th chapter. He's saying, this is what the gospel is about. This is what Christ is about. This is what God is about. This is what you need to know. And then in the 12th chapter, that's where he starts to get specific about now that you know this information, this is how you use it. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the culmination of everything he said up to this point. I want you to go out and be a living sacrifice. Now, they didn't know Paul, but they kind of knew who he was. And they would have seen him as a person of privilege. Have you ever had someone who's privileged and asking you to sacrifice when they've got everything they need? There was a plane that was coming in from Canada that was coming into the United States, and it was right as it was flying across the border. The pilot realized there was a problem with the fuel, that he didn't have enough to make it. And he was only going to fly for about another two minutes, and then the plane was going to crash. And he stood up and realized, I'm getting out of here. And he put a, a, a parachute on and walked back, put it on an autopilot, walked back and told the people, there's three people in the plane, said, sorry guys, I got two minutes of fuel left on here. I got a parachute. There's two more in here. You guys decide. Open the door and dove out. Well, the three people were sitting there. One of them was a pastor, one of them was a Boy Scout, and the other was a businessman. And they're going like, I don't know what's going on here. And the, the pastor looks down under his seat and he pulls out a parachute. Well, the businessman saw that, and he reached down really quick and looked under his seat, and there was nothing there. He stood up and said, this isn't fair. I'm a businessman. I've started 10 different companies. I'm worth $2.3 billion. I have thousands of people working for me. I have people that depend upon me. I need to get out of here alive. I have 190 IQ. I am so much smarter than you guys. Trust me on this. I need to survive. And he reached over, and he grabbed the bag in front of the kid, put it on, and dove out of the plane. The pastor saw this and he's just shaking his head going, I can't believe that just happened. That's completely wrong. And he took his parachute and he handed it over to the kid. And this boy scout looked back at him and said, you don't need to do that. The pastor said, yes, I do. God wants me to do this. This is the right answer. It's the only right answer. The boy scout said, no, you don't need to do that. The guy with the 190 IQ just dove out with my backpack. <laughs> Parachute's right here. This is good. Last sermon wasn't this good. I like this. See, now, Paul wasn't like that. Paul was not acting like someone who was expecting things out of him he wasn't willing to do. Paul actually understood sacrifice. See, Paul had been a man of privilege. Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. 
It says in Acts 23.6, it tells us that he was not only a Pharisee, but he was from a line of Pharisees. The Pharisees were the one percenters of that world. They were rich. They didn't have to go out and do jobs on a daily basis. They had people working for them doing all that. They were getting all the money from Earlier in Acts 22, we learned that he was a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the guy who was in charge of everything at that point in time. He was in the Sahedon, he was Sanhedrin. He was most likely the head of the Sanhedrin. He was the guy who was in charge. Gamaliel is actually listed in history. He's part of the school of Halal. It's one of two schools in Judaism. And he was the head of one of them. So for Paul to be connected to this guy, that meant he was high up in there. He was, he was going to be in the Sanhedrin himself. And he was going to be on path to be the leader of the Sanhedrin just because he was a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is actually quoted multiple times in the Mishnah. It's a Jewish theological book. So we know Paul was was on course. He 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 was set. But somewhere between the road to Damascus and when he connected with knowing more about Christ... He said, no, that's, that's, that's not what I want. That's not the direction I want. He realized that being in the Sanhedrin, being a leader of the Sanhedrin, wasn't going to be the future he wanted. What he wanted to do was tell people about Christ. He was willing to give up being part of that 1%. And he did. He gave up all his connections to the money because his family shunned him. They didn't want anything to do with him. He, he gave up everything to where he had to work every day just to be able to survive and fund his own ministry. The Bible tells us that Timothy, he didn't even have two sets of clothes. He had loaned his clothes to somebody else. He had what was on his back. Here's a guy who gave up everything. So when he was talking to the group, telling them that they needed to be a living sacrifice, it made sense. But the reality is he wasn't asking them to be the type of sacrifice he'd done. He was actually saying be a living sacrifice, and that's really key. Because the word there specifically refers to something a lot more than just having a heartbeat and walking around and saying you know Christ and waiting around for a big payout going to heaven where you get a big mansion in the sky. Which, by the way, on a side note here, I really don't understand the whole concept of mansions in heaven. Quite frankly, what is it, bad weather in heaven? We've got to be indoors? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to want to be indoors right in heaven. I'm going to be wanting to see everything that's there. That's just it, sorry. I just let you into my mind for a second. I apologize. If you're online, fast forward. It's it's okay. We've all been given a gift by God. We have been given everything. We are a life by God. He wants us to use it incredibly well. He has given it to us in a way. He's given us talents. He's given us abilities. He's given us everything we need to be abundant lives in this world. And that's powerful. And I think it's really easy for us as Christians to kind of forget that. We kind of think that, okay, well, you know, I might have a gift in this, but no, I'm not good enough to use this. You know, the things that I really, that God's putting in my heart, I feel like I could do, I'm not good enough for that. Somebody else needs to do that. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, that's a lie. If God has given you a gift to help your life be abundant, you have the ability to use that. He wants you to use that. I guarantee you it's a lie from the devil telling you you're not good enough for that. The reason I can guarantee you is that God gave you the gift. He's given it to you. And he doesn't make mistakes. Period. Paul knew that the right way of living a sacrificial life 
was to live a life that was abundantly lived in Christ. And sometimes we get confused. We start thinking about, oh, that means I'm going to make a whole lot of money in this world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on top. I'm going to have everything I need for me and my family because God's going to give it to me. God's going to give me everything that I want. Well, that's not what that means. As a matter of fact, that's actually, that's actually slavery. See, what we've done when we accept Christ is that we've accepted the peace of Christ. We've accepted the gift of Christ, that we are no longer bound to this world. And the first thing we do when we follow that road is we bind ourselves back to the world and to that rat race of trying to make tons of money in this world. Now, God may give you money in this world. It happens. But that's not the purpose and the way of having an abundant life. Paul says in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Paul had heard that the Roman church was doing the best they could. They had heard a little of this, done some of this, they knew some rules, they were trying to put things together, but what they didn't have was a guide. About five years ago, I took a team to Kenya, and we were working in the slums in Nairobi, and then after we'd been there for several days and we'd spend the whole, whole time doing what we're supposed to do, I, I kind of wanted to give them something a little bit more than that. I, so I wanted to take them out and let them see more of Kenya. So I took them on a walking safari. And Mohi had set it up for me, and they'd given me all the information. And I had, I had everything on my phone that was a, was a uh, um, reservation for the place that we were going. So our driver drove us there. We got out of the van, or the, out of the bus, walked up to the place we were supposed to be, and there's no one there. It's just a board that says, if there's no one standing here, go up to the house, and they'll tell you what to do. So I went up to the house, so everybody was waiting there. Knocked on the door. First thing the guy does when he opens the door is, what do you want? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I want to go on a safari. I'm, I'm here with a group of people. We've, we've got, I've got my reservation. He goes, oh, okay. Well, how many people? Well, I told him, 11. He goes, all right, this is the amount of money. Gave it to him. He goes, all right, this is what you do. Go back down to that sign, walk down the path, and keep walking, and then I'll have a guy that'll meet you down there. All right, fine. So we walked, walked back down there. Started walking down the path, everyone, we're going, this is really kind of interesting. We saw some cool things. There were some Thompson gazelles over here that were running around. And then there was, this, there was this eagle that was flying over that was an African fish eagle. It was really cool. And, and we just kept walking. We see the animals all over the place. It was really kind of cool. And I just thought, this is kind of, kind of weird. I mean, I look, there's a river over there, and I see like eyes popping up out of the river. And I'm going, that's a hippo. <laughs> Those are not nice. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> so... I thought, this is not a good thing. We're walking out into the wild here, and there's no one with us. And I looked over, and I finally see the guy, and he's on top of the hill. And he's waving his hands like this at me. And I, I, I walk over toward him, and he's up, he's like kind of running down the hill, and he's waving his hands, yelling, and I couldn't understand. He goes, what are you doing? Get over here. Get out of there. Because we were walking in the wrong place. And it was funny and scary at the same time, because we needed a guide. And we didn't have one. The Roman church needed a guide. They needed someone to point them in the right direction. They had been built on word of mouth. And Paul was there to show them. And the first thing they needed to understand was not to conform to the patterns of the world. In Sinjutsi, Japan, about 50 years ago, a guy kind of realized that you can't really put like, a lot of watermelons into a refrigerator. 
because they're oblong shaped. And he said, well, I want to store more in the refrigerator. I wonder if I could find a way to make them cubed. So he did. He took a form, a pattern, that he made, a box, and when the, the watermelon starts getting big enough, he takes it with the branch and puts it inside the box, and it grows out in the box and forms into a cube. And it's a box about this big, and he makes these every year, makes a couple hundred of them every year, and they sell for about $200 a piece. And I'm not exactly sure why they sell for $200 a piece, because apparently they taste like garbage. It doesn't give the, the, the uh, watermelon a chance to grow. It doesn't give it a chance to become sweet. It just forms it into a box, and people think of it as art. So they take it and put it up on their mantle, which is kind of crazy to me, too. Why would I, I, guess it's, I guess it's a way of, of like justifying the fact I spent $200 on a rotten watermelon. It was conforming to the world around it, and that's the problem. It was turned into something it was never intended to be. We can't conform to the world around us. What we need to do is be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The only way that we can do that, and I'll just be perfectly honest, is that knowing the Scripture better than we know anything else. We need to pour the Scripture into us daily. I, I run into people that, that, that they're running into problems in life, they tell me that, that they're a Christian, and I, I ask, and I go, it's like, okay, well, so how often do you read the Bible? And go, well, I don't really read the Bible. And then I find out they've never read through the entire Bible. They've been a Christian for 10 years, they've never read through the Bible. Now, I'm not going to tell you how soon you need to read through the whole Bible, but I'm going to say if it's been 10 years, it's been too long. Okay? So we, we here at the church, we go through something that we have a program to have people read through the Bible in a year. Now, my wife and I did this last year, and I'll be perfectly honest, we didn't make it. Because some days, there's a lot of reading for that. That's okay. You don't have to read it through in a year. This is just a program. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a form. It just tells you what to read. Read through in a year and a half. That's fine. Then you're reading it every day and you're getting it into you. That is the only way that we are ever going to be able to defeat the world's problems and to not be conformed by the world. Paul knew that that was a huge danger. He says in verse 9, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Love must be sincere. This means no ulterior motives. Now, I'm just going to be perfectly honest. we got a couple choices. You're supposed to love your neighbor. So I'm going to tell you, don't say you love your neighbor if you don't. And... If you say you love your neighbor, make sure you do. It, it's not that tricky to do. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, Don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Act as if you do. As soon as we do this, we find we're life's great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Do. Don't try and figure out if you do. That's the most important part. We don't need to define it and put it on t-shirts. We just need to do it. There's, we, I took a group to Kenya uh, about four months ago, five months ago. It was a great, great trip. Okay, there's several people in here who are on this trip. And I'm going to tell you that the entire team was rock stars. They were amazing. But I'm going to point out two of them right now. Brian Ong and Troy Steinle. Okay, 
these guys, I gave them a task to do, and I knew it was not a simple task to do. But they took it and ran with it and did an amazing job. They worked outside of the school, having the kids during our VBS that we were doing just have a time to play and have fun and relax and enjoy. They took footballs out there. They took um, soccer balls out there. They took beach balls out there. And they played for six hours every day we were there in the dust. And they came back in to the school for breaks, covered from head to toe in dust. They were wearing masks. And we took the masks off. They had the whole raccoon effect where this was covered in dirt and this was covered in dirt. I remember Troy walked in one time. He was wearing the shirt for, that we used for Kenya, and then he had a white long sleeve shirt underneath it. He had gloves on. He took the gloves on. From here up was dirt, and the part that was covering the glove was still white. Okay? They did an amazing job because they acted in love. They just said, we're going to do it no matter what. No matter how challenging it is, difficult it is, we're going to go out there and do it. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Everyone on that trip did the same thing. Acting in love is how you show you love your neighbor. It's not just words. Paul says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. This says we're supposed to be disgusted by evil, not hate it the way the world does, the way the world thinks. Okay, we use the word hate like it's this terrible thing, we want to destroy something. What this word is telling us is that you're supposed to be repulsed by it. It's supposed to be something you recognize, that thing I don't like, not the person doing it. Sometimes we get confused. We aim at the person and not the thing. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love the people. I've got, I've got friends who like post stuff online. And you know, they'll, it, 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 it bothers me. I see it and I'm going like, I don't get it. I don't understand this. They'll say, here, I checked in at such and such church that they went to. And then right after that, they post something that says, and here's a picture of Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's all I know is Jesus in my life. And he's done everything for me. And then right after that, they post something that sounds like hate speech about a different group of people that they feel isn't following God and, and talks about how stupid they are in this world. And I'm going like, I don't get it. How do you do that? Like literally within seconds. I mean, I think somewhere it should be like, there should be like swimming or something and eating, you know, where you've got to wait at least 30 minutes between posting something about Jesus and then, you know, something terrible about that. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how we don't connect that God wants us to love people, not walk around telling people how bad they are. That is not love. That's not what God wants. What we end up trying to do is prove that we're better than other people. That's not love. Because I guarantee you, I'm not better than anybody. What I try and be is every day better than I was the day before. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Love starts with humility and it does not stop when things get tough. Simply put, humility is not focusing on ourselves. You know, there's a, in our world today, we have this selfie generation. We got all kinds of people taking selfies and posting them all the time and stuff. I don't do that much because, quite frankly, why would I want a picture of this? But realistically, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I get it. And it's created its own little, like, environment. Because you get people who post selfies of themselves, then get in trouble for it. No joke, this is real. It happened. A few years back, a woman robbed a bank and then posted a selfie of herself doing it. The police arrested her, and they're going like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is usually a lot harder than this. You gave us the, what we needed, you know. The people, you know, they'll do that all the time. They'll, 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 they'll call in sick, and they'll post a picture of themselves in a bar drinking, you know. <laughs> Boss sees it and goes like, hey, great pick. Uh, come see me tomorrow when you come into work, you know. 
It's like that's not, focusing on ourselves causes problems. That's not what God wants us to do. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're supposed to have joy and hope, and that's because we're going to have affliction. Paul isn't telling these people, oh, by the way, you might have affliction. If it comes, do this. He's saying you're going to have problems in this world. Joy and hope are your answers. That's how you deal with them. And then he throws another one in, hospitality. Hospitality is a way for people to deal with affliction. Hospitality is powerful. It connects people to love. Many years ago, we went to uh, Samoa on a missions trip, and we went to this little village, and on this village, in this village, there were little follies that were built, and follies are basically just open buildings. There's no walls to them. There's just a roof and a flat area. And they had built these out of wood and raised them up off the ground. And we were sleeping in these during, while we were there. But the, the Samoans, they, they, they brought in little mattresses, thin little mattresses, they put them on there, and it made all the difference. Having a little mattress to sleep on the wood, it made it comfortable. We were able to sleep. We were able to relax and be there. And about halfway through the trip, we understood that those weren't new mattresses they purchased to do that. That was the mattresses of the people living in the village that gave us their own to sleep in. That's hospitality. That's telling someone, no, you matter. That's telling someone, God loves you and I love you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is one of the funnest things that I think I've, I've ever found. I looked up the word conceited in Greek, and actually it had a connotations in the Greek language of being crazy. It meant there was something wrong with your head. If you're conceited, there's something wrong. They understood that person is not right in the head. Okay? That's kind of awesome. I think that's awesome in our world to think that. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul is describing a concept of being a peacemaker. And a peacemaker isn't the person who walks into and arbitrates peace between two warring countries. A peacemaker is a person who walks into the room and exudes the peace of Christ. You know just being around them, things are now peaceful. You know that this is a person who is representing Christ because in their life, everything you see is, yeah, it's peaceful. I'm, I'm showing you the peace of Christ. We just celebrated Christmas. And we celebrated the, this Christ bringing peace to the world. We celebrate that one day a year. A peacemaker celebrates that 365 days a year. Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on your head. Now, Paul is, is actually quoting um, Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 there. Now, the, the, the fun part about that is he's trying to address people who are dealing with issues and problems in the world. He's not trying to say, this is from God, what I want you to do. Because the idea of doing something nice for someone so they will feel bad is not right. That's, that's not why we do it. Okay? The purpose behind this is to connect Christ's love to them. And the real problem here is the word enemy. Do you guys have people in your life that you consider enemies? Because the problem with that is 
Everyone in this world is created by God, loved by God, and a child of God. So do I ever really have a point in time in my life where I can look at another person and say, that's my enemy? And if I really think that a person is my enemy in life, <clears throat> then my perception of that and my actions are going to be seen. People are going to recognize it because you feel that toward a person. Now, this is hard stuff. I know it is. Paul finishes out by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is mirroring, actually, this, this whole section that he's brought in, he's mirroring the Sermon on the Mount. He's mirroring what Christ says in, in Matthew 5, 43-48. He says, but you've heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Are not even tax gatherers doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, because your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, honestly, that line's tough to swallow for me. Be perfect. I'm not. See, human beings fight against perfection on a regular basis. We don't understand perfection. It doesn't make sense to us. There's only been one thing perfect in this planet that we've ever seen, and we tacked it up on a tree and killed it. We don't get perfect. As a matter of fact, it doesn't make sense to the point that we push away from it. It's not in our DNA. We do our best to avoid and cut corners all the time. There's an old story about a man who uh, was a pastor of a small church. And it was in the, the South, and he wanted to get his church painted. So he hired a guy at the church and said, here, go and do this. Here's the money. Go with the paint and do this. Well, the guy wanted to keep more money for himself, so he bought half the paint and poured water in it and made it a lot more light. He used less paint. So he painted it, and it looked fine until the first rain. And the rain came down and washed all the paint off the building. Pastor's like shaking his head, called the guy over, had him come over, look at the church. He goes, look at this. The guy told him what he did. He said, yeah, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Shouldn't have done it. Pastor looks at him and says, fine. Go, repaint, and thin no more. <laughs> Take the dad joke out of that. We've got a point that makes sense. Okay? It's like we cut corners in this world. That's who we are. And I get it. I do it all the time. A buddy of mine was drinking coffee, and he, he, was taking, he had to take some pills, so he took the pills and drank the coffee with it, and he's like, mm. and I looked at him, and he goes, it's hot coffee. And you took pills with hot coffee. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're, we're talking with some other friends, and within, within like 30 seconds, he took out a sip of coffee. He goes, hmm. I'm like, you know, that's hot. He's like, well, I was hoping it would cool down. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we can't cut corners enough to make coffee cooler. The problem here that we got to deal with in life is the balance between God telling us that we need to be perfect and recognizing who we are. I'm never going to be perfect in this world, but I guarantee you I'm never going to stop trying. We make mistakes, and our response on that, because the devil tempts us to do it, is to be shameful and feel guilt. And I'm going to tell you shame and guilt are bad places to sit. Don't ever sit there in shame and guilt. There's no reason to. Christ does not judge you because of your past. He forgave you because of it. He loves you. And he wants you to spread that love to the world. So don't ever look at your past and go, I made mistakes. We all have. Everyone has. 
Don't let that stop you from getting up and getting back in the fight. The toughest fighters in this world ever are not the ones that have never been knocked down. They're the ones that keep getting back up. Those are the ones to be afraid of. We need to try and work at it hard. We need to recognize that God wants us to be perfect. He wants us to be striving on a regular basis to do it. So rather than focusing on the things that we don't do right, focus on the things we do right and do them better. And then continue to grow from there. I don't have to be better than other people. I just want to be better than myself. Continuously. And that's how we strive for perfection in Christ. We're going to make mistakes. There's, there's, we all sin. There's no reason to stop aiming at perfection. We have hope. We have God. We have Christ and what he's done in our lives. And God's told us you can choose not to sin. That's powerful. Knowing that I can actually choose not to. We just need to get back up and get back in the fight. It's all too easy to be held down by our mistakes and failures. It also isn't needed. God is never looking at us like we're broken. He's looking at us like we're his children. He forgives us and wipes out our sin daily. He's encouraging us and giving us hope to not be overcome by evil in this world, but to overcome evil with good. He's telling us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind in him. Let's pray. Father God, you are God. And I pray that this message, your message, reaches the world that we can show the world your love and we can break free of the bonds of sin because of your forgiveness. Thank you, Christ. Glorify your name. In your name. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Your tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.